The following was recorded at the Seeking Peace Story Show, August 10th, 2017, at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in Albert Lee, Minnesota. While Mina Lian continues to pursue her special education degree, she also loves singing and playing her ukulele on the side. She has written songs about growing up on a farm where her best friends were goats, her 10, maybe 15 year college plan, and her ridiculous obsession for men she's met around the country who play guitar and sport the most luscious man buns. <laughs> Meeting Kunta Kinte by Mina Lian. The first time I heard the name Kente Quinte, I was 21 years old. Kendrick Lamar had just come out with his groundbreaking album, To Pimp a Butterfly, and you could hear the song King Kunta playing just about everywhere you went. I was living in Texas at the time, off on another self-identity-seeking adventure that was now really beginning to exhaust me, as I was in another city looking for another something that I just couldn't seem to find. I was tired as I walked the streets, Kendrick's words preaching into my ears. King Kunta played once. It was a song to be listening to. I knew that this album was important, and up until then, I really had no idea why. Everybody wants to cut his legs off, I thought to myself, as I pondered these heartfelt and profound lines. What did this song mean? Who was King Hunter? And why didn't I know his story? King Hunter played a second time, this time in the background as I sat in a library, researching the story of the man behind the song. Kunta Kinte a fierce and rebellious slave born in Gambia, West Africa, and the main character from the novel roots the saga of an American family. I continued to read the story of Kunta. Tears rolled down my cheeks. I cried for him, a warrior who, despite the obstacles and mistreatment that he faced because of the color of his face, thrived in his blackness. I cried for myself, frustrated, confused, heartbroken, because I, a woman of color, a brown woman was unable to find confidence in her blackness. I didn't know how to be comfortable in my own skin, let alone my skin color. I didn't even know where to begin. I was seven years old when I was adopted. I was placed into a welcoming household, a privileged home filled with love. It was a home that I was familiar with as this family had fostered me my entire life. This family loved me for everything that I was. As a child of color growing up in an almost all white community, you can imagine how unique and sometimes challenging my experience was. I remember all the times I would watch my little sister get her hair done. I'd watch in envy as it was brushed, smooth, blonde, and wavy. So much prettier than mine. I used to think, how was it that I'd ended up with this thick head of black curls, too coarse and big to manage most days? I was always comparing myself to the idea of being white. How could I be more white? All I ever wanted growing up was to feel beautiful like all of my friends. To be beautiful was to be white, and to be white was to be successful. And because of the way that I looked, I always felt like an outsider in my own community. I must have been nine at the time when I came to the conclusion that I'd probably never date anyone, because boys didn't date girls like me. So I always kept quiet about my crushes. I'd admire from afar as I watched all of my other friends go through relationships week after week, accepting the fact that I would never be in one myself. For so many years, I've shut out this idea of being in a relationship and having the ability to let love in because I've never felt worthy of it. As I grew, I became accustomed to what is referred to as white culture. 
I had spent a majority of my life morphing into this person I knew my community would accept. Surprisingly, I hadn't dealt with a lot of discrimination because of the effort I had put into trying to be more white. As an already insecure 15-year-old, I had no idea what to take from this. I was sitting next to my long-time long best friend, whom I had done a good job of hiding behind at this point. She was everything that I wasn't. She was a blonde, blue-eyed bombshell with a heart of gold who could light up any room with their smile and infectious personality. She was someone that I could be next to and feel invisible with, which is what I had wanted, and it failed me at this particular moment. You look like a monkey, the boy a few desks away from me stated. I froze right then because I knew he was talking to me, but I didn't want to accept it yet. Hey, did you hear me? You look like a monkey. After this particular incident happened, I decided to be somebody that nobody could hate. I decided to be someone that this young man couldn't break. I hid my insecurities behind my humor and my smile and my body and my big curly afro. The year that I let loose of the fro was the year that I stopped taking myself seriously, my roots seriously, my being seriously. I used to walk in the halls in the morning time and I'd go around joking about my hair because if I joked about it, I wouldn't have to feel insecure about it, right? And my peers would touch it like it was some sort of pet. Your hair is so fluffy. Have you ever thought about straightening it? Your hair is so cool. I wish that I was black. That was one of the most ironic lines that I would hear all through high school. I wish that I was black. The next few years would only become more difficult and complex. Slavery had become a hard topic in one of my history classes, and To Kill a Mockingbird would make its way into my hands shortly after in an English class. I'd spent so much of my life denying the fact that these horrific stories I would learn about had something to do with me. This was my culture I was learning about. This was my history. How confusing was it to be a person of color learning about slavery in a room full of white students? It was always so hard for me to make sense of, so I would subconsciously remove myself from the topic, as much as now I wish that I would have paid more attention. I just used to think this wouldn't have happened to me. This would not have happened to me. I was hopeful for a fresh start at college in a new place with new people. I chose Winona State University, a predominantly white college that wasn't much different from my hometown. Go figure, that empty feeling came back in full swing. I was lost on the first of many self-identity-seeking adventures that I would set out on in the coming few years. I lasted a few semesters in Winona, frustrated with my inability to find myself in any of the classes I was taking or through the people that I was meeting. I left college in the spring of 2013, a time that I'll never forget. I was 20 and I had no plan, but as free-spirited wanderers like myself like to think, no plan can often be the best plan in times like that. My feet took me to Montana, and then Wyoming. After Wyoming, it was Oregon. And after Oregon, it was Texas, a state I never thought I'd stay in for more than a hot minute, but it was a place that I would end up calling home for more than two years. Dallas, Texas shifted things a little for me. I ended up working as a camp counselor at a camp for kids, teens, and adults with special needs. I was in an entirely new environment. I remember the first time that I noticed something that I had never seen before while at camp. All of us counselors had to get physicals in order to be approved for work. So within the first few days of being there, I had made a doctor's appointment. When I arrived, one of the nurses who introduced herself was an African-American woman. She led me to the back room where evaluations questions would follow, and I remember staring at her while she got everything ready 
and smiling. Up until that point, I had never been around women of color in such strong, powerful positions. It was something I'd only seen on TV, which explained my weird obsession with Oprah growing up. <laughs> As I walked through the doctor's office, I kept seeing all of these men and women of color busy at work. I suddenly felt reassurance in myself. I was in a room full of people that looked like me and that were doing amazing things. I never had role models like that growing up. It was like a light came on that day in a tiny little hospital room. I felt like I could be something. I ran into a woman at a music festival one hot summer night in Dallas. She had the most beautiful chocolate skin and her hair was as big as Mother Nature's earth. And I remember thinking that she looked radiant. I spent a few moments complimenting her on her style and beautiful black curls and told her, I wish I wouldn't have thrown so many years away on trying to make myself into something that it wasn't. And she said something to me that I'll never forget. She said, girl, you must always look at your hair as a crown. Carry it with love. And so I did. I would spend the next year in Texas making the most of my days, catching up on lost time. I would dive headfirst into music and people and culture, but especially the music. I discovered Lauren and D'Angelo, Sade, Aaliyah, Tupac, and Kendrick Lamar. For the first time in my life, I was beginning to feel comfortable in my own skin, my blackness. I carried that comfortability back to my home state in 2015, where I would eventually settle down in Minneapolis with an entirely different outlook on myself. Don't get me wrong, I'm still struggling to feel complete in a lot of ways, but I know that it has a lot to do with the lost time I've spent feeling out of place. I continue to be hopeful and take pride and ownership in my life because to me, that is what peace is. It's like fitting the entire world in your hands and placing it to your heart and never letting go. So these days I walk the streets of my beloved city of Minneapolis. Kendrick Lamar's new album, Playing In My Ears, Kunta Quinte on my mind, and I feel like a queen, crowned carried at its very highest level of love. Thank you. The Seeking Peace Story Show is produced by Riley Wirth and me, Jeremy Corey Greenis. To hear more, check out our Facebook page and the Story Show podcast. Our intro and outro music was composed by Jasper Corey Flatto.